Are you ready, Christine? I sure am. Are you ready, Ma? Not quite, but it's let's... episode 200. Is it? Oh, this is episode 200? Well, what a episode... movie we picked. It is. I mean, I can't count, so I don't know if it's actually our 200th, but it's episode 200. So <laughs> let's go. Let's go to France. Yeah. I, is that so where we were? We were. The story took place in France, but then other readings I had that it was moved to the United States, but I felt like it was probably still France. I don't know. Who knows? No. This was, it, there, it was a, a French traveling circus. Okay. We are doing 1932 Todd Browning's Freak. It was just called Freaks. Freaks. Not Freak Show. Yeah. This is a fictional film based on true life experiences of the sideshow people of the circus. Particulars? Please. It was released on February 12th, 1932. It was producer uncredited Harry Rapp. He was a founding member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, AKA the, the people that give out Oscars. And Irving Thalberg, who, a.k.a. was the boy wonder, he helped create MGM and was head of production from 1925 until his death in 1936. Remember, he was married to Norma Shear. Hmm. Produced and directed by Todd Brownie, a.k.a. the Edgar Allan Poe of cinema. Oh, okay. He directed 1931's Dracula, and Outside the Law, and The Unholy Three. He worked a did lot with... Did Dracula? Yeah, with Bela Lugosi. Did, right? Mm-hmm. That's right, okay. Oh, and, yeah, okay. And he worked a lot with Priscilla Dean and Lon Chaney, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. The Man of a Thousand Faces. Um, he also was an actor. He acted in uh, Intolerance. He had a very bad car accident in 1915 that left him with no teeth and sort of um, not as able-bodied as he once was. His real name is Charles Albert Browning Jr., but he adapted Todd as his professional name. And Todd, Alpha Deutsch, is death. The word Todd in German, death. Thank you. The writer is Willis Goldbeck. He wrote most of the Dr. Kildare, ah, Dr. Kildare series, oh, Ten Tall Men. Dr. Kildare. And the man who shot Liberty Valance. Also, Leon Gordon, who wrote White Cargo. It is suggested on the 1923 short story Spurs by Todd Robbins, who is an American author of horror and mystery novels and short story collections. Hmm. The music, I just, there's nobody specifically listed. So I'm guessing it was just the MGM music department. So I'm sure there were like some guy in other movies that we've done who it's like, Oh, he worked and did all the MGM movies, but he wasn't listed. Hmm. Um, director of photography was Merritt B. Gerstad, who also did A Night at the Opera, London After Midnight, and the 1934 Imitation of Life. The editor is Basil Redengale, 
He did so many films, and he also did episodes of I Spy, Peyton Place, and Combat. I used to love Combat. Mm -hmm. I'd watch it with my dad, and he'd tell me what the Germans were saying. (laughs) The starring Wallace Ford as Froso. He was in the movie we did last week, A Patch of Blue. He was also in Spellbound and Harvey, to name a few. He was in so many movies. Lila Hames as Venus. She worked as vaudeville as a child with her parents. And she was also in the movies The 13th Chair, alias Jimmy Valentine, and Yellow Dust. Hmm. Olga Baklinova as Mm -hmm. Cleopatra. She was a Russian-born actress. I know. She... Was cast a lot as exotic blonde temptress. Which exotic is not a word I would use <laughs> to describe, but okay. More temptress. <laughs> yeah, I was like, when was I blonde exotic? Just, <laughs> oh, I mean. <laughs> well, look, it looks like we have an exotic temptress. <laughs> yeah. Who, who knew? That's today. The the exotic blonde temptress. Nigh on 70-year-old blonde temptress. <laughs> she was also in The Man Who Laughs and The Docks of New York. Ooh. Roscoe Addies as Roscoe. He was best known as a Western character, Soapy Jones. He conquered his stutter at the age of 18, but he brought it on back for the humorous effect. He was also in Gone with the Wind. He played a soldier that was convalescing. And he was in Sullivan's Travels in the Palm Beach story. Henry Victor as Hercules. He was an English-born actor. He was also in The White Shadow, To Be or Not to Be, and so many other films. Harry Earls as Hans and Daisy Earls as Frida. Um, Hans was also in The Unholy Trees. Harry and Daisy are part of the Dahl family. There are four siblings with dwarfism born in Germany. They have three other siblings. They were encouraged to working into entertainment to take advantage of their status. Um, Earls is the name of their American agents. They changed the name to Dahl after the death of their manager. You also saw them as members of the Munchkins in the wizard of oz yeah um harry was in the lollipop guild of course he was and daisy also in addition appeared in the greatest show on earth um i didn't go through everybody but i did get get quite a few of the the stars of this film we have rose dion as madame tetralilini (laughs) <laughs> this was her best-known film. Daisy and Violet Hilton as the co-joined twins. Um, this was their only film except for later an exploit exploitative biopic called Chained for Life. Oh. Uh, um, they, man. So they were born, their mother was an unmarried barmaid in, I think they were in Bristol, England. And the mother's... The owner, the mother's boss basically bought them from the mother. 
stay they stayed above the bar where they were exhibited until um they kind of like grew up and then they were put to work as well then they were trained and then they were it was it's very sad because mm-hmm. they then they were um like they weren't they were just kind of like treated as like you would not your worst case scenario and that was them like you know they yeah. you know they were bought from their mom and so then they were they went around and toured and she toured the United States with them and then when she died her daughter took over and was even more abusive and would like lock them up when they weren't performing and all that. And it was actually, according to Wikipedia, it was Harry Houdini who was like, yo, y'all needs to get yourself emancipated. This ain't right. And so they were able to eventually sue and win their emancipation. Oh, good. Um, they weren't, they weren't sex workers, were they? They weren't. No, but they were married. So, um, where is it? One of them was married for 10 years and the other was married for 10 days. And it is, and cause that is kind of a theme of the, of the movie and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's, it, it, I don't know. It's because on one, well, we'll get into it later. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we have Schlitzie as himself. Um, I think his real name was Simon Mech. Um, he was in the sideshow, the Island of Lost Souls, Tomorrow's Children. He was a major attraction of outdoor entertainment and sideshow attractions with Barnum and Bailey Circus. Um, he was born with microcephaly, right? And so that's a micro. So it's like a you know smaller head. I I did research about it. Okay. Um, and he had a cognition of that of a three year old. We have Josephine Joseph, who is the half woman, half man. This was her only film role. Um, she caught a case in 1930s Blackpool, England, with her husband, who is her manager, and they were charged with false pretenses and conspiracy for their half woman, half man show. So it, it was because in the time they would have, so she would do exercises on one half of our body and so then that part would be built up and the other part would, would be not built oh. up and, and like flabby and stuff and so they were um the husband decided that he was just gonna plead guilty because he refused to have his wife be like judges wanted to be like whoa oh. what's the genital situation and he's right. like i'm not having my wife like look like no and so he was just a uh, I guess he he like played guilty and was fined twenty five pounds, and then Josephine was just um, completely acquitted, and they just had to like prom like they were just shamed and like oh I promise I'll never do this show again and like it's just messed up because it's I mean God, there's so much of this to unpack on every <laughs> oh, direction. Man. Johnny Eck is the half boy. Um, he's an artist, musician, photographer, illusionist, penny arcade owner, punch and Judy operator, which is the puppet oh. show. Oh. So it's a like puppet show thing. Um, expert model maker owned a custom built street legal race car in Baltimore called the Johnny X special. And he was also Ooh. in three Tarzan movies. He was like, there's nothing that I can't do that you can do except tread water. 
and that came across. I felt like yeah. his um, acceptance of himself as well as then transforming that into making himself be the best he could at whatever he could. I could just tell like this man is smarter than I am and smarter. Like you could like his intelligence is just off the charts as well as just fascinating and fantastic upper body strength. I mean, this man could easily run faster with his arms than I can with these, these stumps of legs I got here. So, wow. Um, Frances O'Connor as the armless girl. She was also billed as the living Venus de Milo. Prince Radian as oh, the... Oh, because of Venus not having any arms. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't put that together either. Prince Ra- Randian as the living torso. He was 61 in this film. Yeah. He was a Guyanese-born American. He was brought to the United States by... P.T. Barnum. Yeah, we talked about him when we did. Oh, yeah. The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman. Mm-hmm. So he P.T. Barnum brought him over when he was 18. He was Hindu. He spoke Hindu, English, French, and German. I also read somewhere that he had five kids. I know he had a son. And yeah. And I was surprised by that, but. But kind of not. But. I mean, he did say he could do anything with his mouth. Oh, well, oh, that does not beget him a son, but okay. <laughs> but it opens a lot of opportunities for him. <laughs> um, it starts the process. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice that introduction. <laughs> Angelo Rossetti as Angelino. He was also in The Beloved Rogue, Child Bride. And his last role was in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. Where they didn't need another hero. And those are the particulars. Okay. I'm going to set the table. We begin with the circus MC. What is the circus MC? Oh, wait. I think before we set the table, then we should set the table for my introduction to this film. Because my introduction to this film is I called my mom my lunch break because we had watched the JFK assassination documentary when I was back home for Christmas. And I was listening to a podcast series about it and heard this theory that I had never heard before, but that seems very plausible and according to ballistic experts is probably like as time goes on, this this scenario and theory it gets stronger and stronger. It's less people are able to debunk it. I was so excited that I called my ma. She is shook. Just shook. I had I was about 10 minutes into the film. She was just like, oh, my gosh, hold on. Because I'm like, Ma, I, I think they know who killed Kennedy. Like, And I'm excited. <laughs> She's like, hold on a second. You need to give me a minute. I'm 10 minutes <laughs> into this film. And I'm like, what? Are you crying? What is going on? And you're just like, I just need a minute. Just hold on. So I had to wait. It's for her to get her. And I'm like, what What the hell kind of, what is going on? So I was very nervous because I was, I'm going to watch the movie later. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what? Like this woman is shook. And then I told her 
that they think that the mortal shot came from. It was an oopsie, a workplace accident by the social, by the Secret Service. The guy with the oh. AR-15, he was the one. Like, Oswald did the first two shots. But and that they're just famous- not figuring that out? No, this guy figured it out in the 70s. This ballistic uh, expert was like the that last the Warren shot. The commission knew it at the time. I think they Ooh. like, but you know, could it come out that the Secret Service accident, the guy accidentally popped off a shot when the, the car jerked in the, like, wow. It's so, anyway, I was so excited that I had to share it and Ma was just shook. And so that's, I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh. What is this? Yeah, it's, yeah, it definitely starts off and you're like, oh boy, like look, watching, I think it's watching through 2022 lenses. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh God, oh God. It has the potential to just go a many different ways. Exactly. Go real bad, real, real fast. Uh, but okay, we're going to discuss. Okay. I, I, went okay. Through, yeah. I went yeah. through a whole, I went through many and I had to, I had to, you went through a journey, Ma. You went through like oh, oh. go inside myself and think about. Okay, I'm gonna set the table. So, do you, like, I recommend watching this. This is one of the oh, movies yeah. that, yeah, I do too. I'm gonna put a disclaimer on it, just letting people know that you are going to see real people who were exploited by circuses. But was it exploitation because they got out of really bad situations Mm -hmm. and they were able to make some money and they became a community, but it's jarring to see um, people with so many different issues, body issues as far as the human form and what, uh, and then it, it is like a, like, like a master piece a master class in tolerance and let's look at this another way and i mean when prince what is prince's last name radiant yeah randy randian when he is able to light his cigarette you go okay you don't need to feel sorry for him (laughs) that i don't want people feeling sorry for these people i want them to be able to to live the best life they can without being exploited. That was my issue. I did I watched the movie and didn't feel sorry. I didn't feel like feeling sorry. I don't know how to put that, but I was surprised. I didn't realize like I was surprised that they were all playing themselves. Yes. You know, I mean so much not better themselves, than- but it wasn't able-bodied actors playing exactly as we see now in movies like this. Exactly. American Horror Story. Yes. Right. Right. And so, okay. So, we be and what is the circus, um, the the circus ringmaster? We begin with a circus ringmaster enticing paying guests to see the sideshow people of the circus. One person used to be a trapeze artist who wronged one of the sideshow community. The ringmaster offers the community's quote, offend one of us, you offend us all. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? 1932 movie called Freaks, where 
you know, he, <laughs> so much could go wrong that I was watching it and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, I was so waiting for, um, what fuck boys movie? Birth of a Nation. You mm-hmm. know, I, in my mm-hmm. mind, I was like, great. This is going to yeah. be that when I watched it, I was like, oh, wow. Wow. I think I had the opposite journey of you because I was like, wow, this me is too. so me too. sympathetic and stuff. And then I finished watching it and then I did more reading. And then I was just like, oh, OK. Oh, that's a that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah. So it, it is it's, it's one of these things where you could I could be. I'm, I don't have a hill to stand on in this. Like, I want to hear what disabled people, like, their take on it and follow their lead and be supportive in any way that they find it. Because, obviously, as an able-bodied person, I'm looking at it through my perspective. And I definitely don't want to be, like, proclaiming this movie as something that is awesome and great. For the disabled community, when and then somebody of the disabled community being like, you have no idea what the hell you're talking about. So, I just put that as a disclaimer right then and there that I'm coming. I'm speaking today from a complete place of ignorance. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, so this is where I'm coming from. <clears throat> In 1973, uh, 74 time frame. <sighs> The 70s were wild. I was at Moorhead State University studying elementary and special education. And one of the field trips we took was to a, I'm going to call it a campus because it was, it was, there was a lot of green space. There were different buildings and each building had taken in um, children who the parents either couldn't take care of or didn't want to take care of because of their so-called deformities. Would and we that's, consider this the, uh, like to be an institution? Like when people would say like, oh, so-and-so is institutionalized? Only it's like a breath of fresh air for them because it's a, it's a lovely place. It's not mm-hmm. like an old Victorian, you know, monastery and and they're kept in the dark and chained up or anything but it's the first time i saw a child with only a torso and a head and that shook me i mean here was a a jarring child and i saw um children with the um syndrome that some of the characters had so there so this brought that back to me but the good news was it was a really nice place, but that doesn't mean that the people caring for them were, and I tried to look it up today. I don't know that it's still around anymore. No, I think that all that stuff got gutted by yeah. the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the trickle down economics. So that the first 10 minutes, I, I am seeing these people who look very different from what we're used to. It took me back to that. And I'm thinking, is this going to be a film where they are exploited? Now, in my research, many of the people said that they felt like they were exploited during the making of this movie. Mm -hmm. But um, there was one 
John, who's Johnny? Johnny was the the man who was um, walked on his hands. Okay. Mm. Um, he he felt he liked it, uh, and he got notoriety from it. And I mean, they okay. There's so many more. There's so much more in uh, Tasty Titties mm-hmm. and Nerd Alerts to go into. But that was where I came from. It was going back to that scene. Uh, I didn't know that people had these syndromes and things. Mm-hmm. Well, what you said mirrored what the woman who played Olga when she played Cleopatra and Todd Browning introduced her to the cast. She basically did what you did and was like, like she, for lack of a better, like what she says, she like started crying. She didn't want to look anymore because she just saw like, you know, just these children and, and just saw, she saw what they didn't have. And then as she was working by that, by the time they finished the movie, she was in love with all of them because she saw past what they didn't have and what they did have and saw like the humanity and and saw them as people. And the community that they formed. Uh, And so when I was freaked out, it was before seeing any of that. Yeah, because also it's us in 2021 and it's a 1932 film and you're seeing this and it's just like, this is, oh, Oh no. Oh well, no. And it's like, I feel like just you, we were made to think that people weren't created like that. Like, all you see is people depicted as that. And like, you have things like American Horror Story. I can't remember what the season, the circus season or whatever. Right. Oh, American Horror Story Freak Show is what it's yeah. called. And which was based off of this, I mm-hmm. skimmed over. And I don't think there was a single person that, I mean, I didn't research to see how, if there were any disabled people that were hired for the roles, but the majority of people, it feels like they had to do, they were pretending to have these. Right. Right. And that is the ultimate insufferences. Yeah. Ultimate. Well, there's, unfortunately, I just came upon this like 30 minutes before we did a our podcast because it would have been fantastic if I had had my stuff together. But there's a 2020 documentary called Code of the Freaks that's about oh. ableism in mainstream film. So I feel like oh, it's it's like that. yeah, remember the uh, the documentary about um, transgenders in film, the beyond with a D. Mm-hmm. I feel like that it, it, this is that kind of movie where it goes and it shows just how just ableism we're just running right. amok and just not even don't even realize the run amok they were doing and just the depiction of it and how and i think this movie it, apparently it's uh i want to see it because it's angered a lot of people because they criticize a lot of movies that are beloved to people and they're like mm. hey this is this is maybe look at it from this way and it's not so great sort of you us know? and gone with the wind yeah, exactly. So I, I'm also going to say you guys are of um, a different generation than me. And so your eyes are, have been open to all kinds of differences that were, um, you know, put in the cl- literally in the closet. Yeah, they were shut away up. to mm-hmm. not be seen because it makes me fe- it makes it makes the able bodied people feel uncomfortable. So right. they, that shall not be seen, right. which it's, well, we'll get into that. We'll, get we'll into we will past. indeed. 
there's a lot to unpack in this movie. Oh, um, so but much. I do want to give you the disclaimer. You're going to see people who look different from what you're used to. Just keep going with it because you'll see how how they they are able they are handy capable. Mm-hmm. They're able to do a lot with themselves. There's obviously things they can't do. I mean, but many things that they can and. So, um, yeah. And, oh, and let me tell you, I've been trying in CrossFit, I've been trying to walk on my hands for seven Ooh. years and I fucking can't do it. So, yeah. That's yeah. that alone. It, it's just so impressive. And I also recommend the movie Crip, Crip Camp, I believe, documentary. Yeah. And I had and I had watched that and and I because I realized that that in me of that uncomfortableness and that and and like I was like, oh, my gosh. And like just ashamed of myself for having that weird feeling be- behind my knees and watching that movie really made me, uh, you know, like point them, look in the mirror, take a look in the mirror and be like, like, what's your problem? And exactly. And exactly. like as they're fighting for their civil rights and stuff, and then you just see like the humanity. And so uh, I was just so that's why part of this movie freaks to me is refreshing. But there's also a lot to unpack. So there are, is we, indeed. are yeah. we to power of cast? We we are to people of color. Oh, I saw two people of color. Oh, I just mm-hmm. had Prince Randy in. Prince Randian, and then toward the end in the group shot, when all of the community is coming toward um, Cleopatra, there was a a woman of color as well. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. My bad. But as far as cast, again, the whole movie is cast. Oh, I got so much on cast. Yeah, same. Uh, um, well, here we go. Yeah. We're starting. Go, go, teeny. <laughs> oh boy, I have so many pages of notes. Um, so I there's an article on IndieWire.com called "Freaks is the Granddaddy of Disabled Horror for Better mm. and for Worse." You read that too by Kristen Lopez. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. And I think that's like a four-part series looking at disabled horror films and so she wrote in here um watching horror films is a disabling experience it's a controlled encounter with discomfort with the vulnerability of our minds and bodies to images and suggestions that open up open us to unwilled transformations so how does a person with a disability approach the horror genre when the the presented thing to fear is themselves. Um, and so I kind of talked about the making of this movie a little bit and how at MGM, the actors had to eat outside of the commissary because yep. the MGM stars were complaining about seeing them. There's another, uh, when the movie finally was. Um, well, teeny like on the MGM, like the commissary thing, the one of the producers, the the rap guy, he had a quote, a specific quote that said that they didn't want people in the commissary to to wait. I have it somewhere. It was because they okay. So all the entertainers had to, um, except for Violet. 
and the Earls. Violet and Daisy, the co-joined twins, and the Earls, everyone else had a separate cafeteria, so, quote, so people in the cafeteria could eat without throwing up. And that was mm-hmm. said by the producer, Howard Rapp. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, what? Like, I think you're being a little overdramatic. But in his story, Crazy Sundays by F. Scott Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. who was the writer of The Great Gatsby, he recounts the time that he was in the MGM commissary and was joined in the commissary by Daisy and Violet and lost his lunch. Mm-hmm. Like his story is about uh, him throwing up. So, And he went to the bigwigs and that's when they had to put a tent outside the commissary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when they, uh, the movie was, what's it called? Put out there? Distributed? Yeah, I don't know. Um, like one woman tried to sue MGM saying that seeing the disabled people on the screen was the cause of her miscarriage. Exactly. Mm-hmm. A, a Karen. She was a Karen. Yeah. Um, so MGM, because of that, instead of just being like, well, this is the movie, sorry about it. They cut 30 minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. And a lot yeah. of that was parts that made, that showed the actors in like, like a positive light. Well, um, I read that too. That was interesting because I had read that as well. But then when I read, like when you read that article, it makes the, that the scenes. So what happened was the art, the movie came out and Thalberg, who was the boy wonder saw it and people allegedly ran out of the screening and all that. And it was 90 minutes. So he went behind the director's back and cut out. 30 minutes of scenes and the stuff that was cut was Cleopatra's attack. Um, okay. That, oh, okay. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hercules yeah. being castrated. Okay. There are okay. a bunch of comedy sequences that were cut. The film's epilogue had a different epilogue than the one we see now with right. the carnival barker Hercules. Um, Hercules singing in falsetto because of his yeah. castration. So the only time that that because Goldberg couldn't cancel the world premiere, which was at the Fox Theater in San Diego. So that was the only screening to ever show the 90 minute uncut film. And they used and there were lines around the block because word got out that MGM was going to cut the film. So it made it like a, a people wanted to see the uncensored version. So when I read on Wikipedia, the things that got cut, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Because because I do have a problem with the ending of the film and, and it kind of takes everything that it did and then yes. it ends on like this bad note. So then in reading that article, like Teeny, it was interesting to see because all of that footage is lost. So we don't know. We don't know what it is. Exactly. Well, who knows? Yeah. Um, but I thought the one of the important. So I talked about how the, you know, the movie was like just not a thing until for many many years, and then in the sixties it kind of resurfaced, um, and now is a big discussion by disabled advocates and critics and movie lovers about whether it is genius or exploitative. Um, and so there was a quote that said it definitely exploits the sensational the sensationalistic thrills of the freak show presenting these bodies as deviant and threatening 
but it only after it shows us that these performers are quite ordinary people driven to defend themselves against supposedly normal individuals who prey on and harm them. So is it exploitative or not? Yes, probably, but, but it, it think, still remains one of the, the movie with the most, um, like, well, I, yeah, I suppose, a predominantly disabled cast. Yeah, there's the quote from Carrie Sandall. So it says it's one of the few films where we can see our disabled ancestors before they were excised from movies. Because yeah. remember, this was a pre-code film. So it's interesting then what happens to disabled actors once the Hayes Code comes in. Um, Carrie Sandhall, associate professor in the Department of Disability and Human Development at the University of Illinois at Chicago, said, we got to see them as actors as well as people. Mm-hmm. So it's that's why this movie is so fascinating because it this is that I love things I love things that are both things are true that it is exploitative yeah. but it's also humanizing in a sympathetic portrayal that you don't see exactly and exactly. i mean i have a, i guess i i have a whole thing about freak shows but i guess i'll get into that in nerd alerts okay Maj, that doesn't have, have to do with the film itself well i have uh women even even in the sideshow community women are definitely a lower caste than men no matter mm-hmm. what the um anatomy issue like um the bearded lady gives birth to a girl and they go better luck next time yeah um so that's there but of course the whole sideshow community is castes as being less than mm-hmm. and they yeah um there's so much cast because then there's the the cast of um how the movie was received because there were critics who were just like this is hor- oh my gosh horrible and then there were other critics um so I have this quote, if freaks caused a major fervor in certain censor circles, the fault lies in the manner in which it was campaigned to the public. I found it to be an interesting and entertaining picture, and I do not have nightmares, nor did I attempt to murder any of my relatives. And that was from the Motion Picture Herald in July 23rd, 1932. Mm -hmm. It's just funny. Um, I also have exploitative like the definition of that, because that word kept being thrown about. And that's the action or fact of treating someone unfairly in order to benefit from their work. Right. So you're like, well, this was exploitative then. Like there's no way around it. But um, I also have historian Jane Nichols said, it's interesting that a statement that reads as one of inclusion is often cited as one that embodies horror in the film. What does it mean to be one of us? Because that's what they they chant to Cleopatra mm-hmm. at the wedding scene. One of us, one of us. The chilling horror of the chant, one of us, reveals why freak shows persist. Because, you know, people are like, one of us. And they, I mean, Cleopatra is, I put her in my fuckboy hall of fame. Oh, yes. Mm. But honestly, how many people, like who, you know, like be honest with yourself because that's what was so fascinating about that scene. Like one of us, one of us. And she's like, nah, 
I I'm not like one of you. Right. You know, it's runs on a ladder. There's also class within this mm-hmm. um, because this was uh-huh. during the Great Depression. So there's little people, meaning average Americans versus big people and to read rich businessmen. Um, film scholars Martin Norton and Madeline Cahill question, quote, members of a traditionally disempowered minority using their collective force to disempower a majority member. Because mm-hmm. that's what happens at the end, which... We'll get into I didn't get until I read what happened. And I was like, oh, my. Oh, no. Um, they turn her into one of them, in effect, leading us to wonder if she is truly disempowered or empowered in a new way. Browning's ambiguity on this point only enhances the film's unsettling properties. Mm, true. Be- because then at the end, it's the member that was like, it's always been the whole thing that I see is power of cast with black people, with the, the cast with black people. It's like, oh, no, give if we give them full equality, they're going to turn it and slit our throats because of all the shit we've done to them. So it's it it was that was a hard pill to swallow with mm-hmm. this film in that um, there's. I also found about the ex- how external appearance, especially in 1930s, but I mean, even to this day, that the external appearance was something that could reveal inner pathology. Because everybody likes to say, like, oh, he looked evil. Or and to go a step further, that then if somebody with a visible disability was then interpreted as a sign of inner deviance and immorality and criminality. So because that man was born without legs and only a torso, he's evil. There's some demon inside him and he's automatically a criminal. And plus he had black skin. So that man's life. Oh my God. Wow. Where's that biopic that an able-bodied actor can win an Academy award for? (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. Will Smith. Um, and so as a, also Prince rare, Prince Randy, oh, may I look at Randian? Me? Yeah, Randian. he was, um, miss, he basically what I just did, his credits in the film were misspelled. They misspelled his name. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And resulting from their treatment and the reactions to the film, many of the performers regretted appearing in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but I mean they just like they are just gonna have a hard right life regardless right so, so the, that's my power of cast because this whole thing is just power oh, yeah. of cast right up on the screen upon power of cast yeah <clears throat> when in the seventies when I was in college uh, I had a roommate and we were at the at an elevator and there was a little person on the elevator and she, we were going to get on it and she pulled me away from the elevator and went down the hall. And she said, we can't get on with a little person because they are mean. They are mean. So there was, there was that stereotype. Like they're like little people are koalas and like, oh, you think they're so cuddly, but they're just going to like jump on you and just like scratch your heart. Like like what? They're going to take your height. Like they're going to, yeah, they're going to, they're, but where did she, but see, that's the thing. Where did she get that from? Like, 
I bet that that's what that documentary is about, is that little people are mean because, I mean, maybe she had an experience with a little person and the little person was mean because of all the, like, mean shit that they had to deal with, that they were like, fuck you, you know, like, I could see that. Uh, okay, so that was that was a thing. It was a stereotype for her, and she was totally freaked out. And I was like, "You have got to be kidding me!" But it does. What you brought up reminds me of um, Poppy was military, and when he got to the rank of lieutenant colonel, I had heard from the time I married him that lieutenant colonels' wives were notorious for being horrible just mean bitches well and when i got to the point of being a lieutenant colonel's wife i understood that's not that's okay let's look behind that and why they're acting that way because they put up with Mm -hmm. this shit for all these years and finally they're going i'm not gonna take that anymore no you you cannot tell me that i can't have an appointment with this doctor um, because unless my husband comes in, no, mm-hmm. I'm a human being too. So there's the all cause the back- and effect. Yeah. Yeah. Cause and effect. Exactly. So that may have been what happened with her, or it was a story that was told in her family. So there was that. Mm-hmm. Just all of these things. Okay. We are to nerd alerts. <laughs> Okay, so I'll, I'll, all right, you I'll, go first. Okay, I'll paint the picture of 1932. I went down a freaking hole. So let's just real quick. 1932, the Great Depression. the The world is going through it. Um, we have Hattie W. Caraway. She became the first woman elected to U.S. Congress. I mean, to the U.S. Senate from Arkansas. She supported the GI Bill but she was a prohibitionist and she also voted against anti-lynching legislation. So you, you can't win them all. Um, she voted against anti-lynching. So she voted yeah. for lynching. Yeah. But two yeah. negatives make a positive. Right. Oh. Yeah. I, I didn't want to, I, like I wanted to salute her as like, Oh, she was the first woman elected to the Senate in 1932. I mean, the country's only been in existence since 1776 and it's 1932 and I wanted to like give her some shine but then I also had to do a little bit more research and be like um, exactly how much shine should I give she's she's from Arkansas so you know um Japan and China I guess Japan at some point had invaded China in the previous year so that's very tense and then a Korean nationalist tried to assassinate the emperor of Japan so there's there's like a bunch of stuff going on in Asia that we did not get educated on at all in the 30s and it's just very very hot and crazy BTW teeny this is 30 years before I was born Oh, wow. Yeah. Just, just put that. Have you seen, there was a TikTok going around of, uh, this woman who's with her kid in the car and the girl, like this little girl, she'd probably just learned about this in school. So she starts asking her mom if she was alive in colonial times. (laughs) And she was like, the mom's like, what year do you think I was born? And she's just like, I don't know. You never told me. 
And she was like, I was born in 1989. And she was, and so the girl's like, oh my what was gosh. that? Colonial times. <laughs> yeah. They, young children do not have a sense know, of time no and space. At all. Neither, nor do I. Yeah. That, that's why I do Oh, yeah. I'm glad you clarified that because I was, wor- I was wondering, you could have been alive or not. Who knew? <laughs> My grandma, however, was driving. The exotic blonde woman. <laughs> Enticing, Christine. This, Enticing. This, this movie is not a, as old as my grandmother, however. Um, a brave oh Your grandmother was 21. She was drinking when this movie came out. <laughs> well, yeah, your mother, right? My other grandmother, was. she was still alive. She was alive as well, but right. not drinking. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> my- your mom was was down with the sailors, just to take it back. Schnapps. Um, a Brave New World is published. Wow. Yeah. The Winter Olympics are held in Lake Placid, New York. Hmm. And because this movie came out in February, so it's truncated of like you know what was going on in the year. But later in February. Hitler obtains German citizenship because he was actually Austrian. I think that's that's a little thing that that I would if I was Germany, I would be like, hey, he was but but really he was Austrian, except in February of 1932, apparently y'all decided to grant the man naturalization citizenship, which I mean, to the man He was an immigrant. He was an immigrant. I'd put that on my flag if I were Germany. He was, he was an immigrant. He, yeah, but they granted him, like, it, it's one of these things where it's, then it, he did what he did and he was an immigrant. So maybe it's like, no, we can't. You know, I mean, they, hey, they, they got a, I'm just saying I would let it be known a little bit more that he was Austrian. And then I would downplay that in February 1932, we allowed him citizenship, which eventually led him to run for office and get elected and start the whole clusterfuck. But <laughs> I'd reframe it. Be like, Hitler was Austrian. Uh, the films, the top five films. Number five, Prosperity. Number four, Grand Hotel. Number three, Hell Divers, number two, Emma, and number one, The Kid from Spain. I've only heard of one of those films. The Oscar nominations for the fifth Academy Awards. Wow. The Smiling, wow. Lu- the Smiling Lieutenant, mm-hmm. Shanghai Express, One Hour With You, Five Star Final, The Champ, Bad Girl, Aerosmith. Aerosmith? Yeah. And the winner, Grand Hotel. And then I have these. Grand Hotel, we've heard of, we have to do. Because that was a big, I think it was MGM film. And they put all their stars in it. Um, So I have the four Todd Browning film themes, according to film historian Vivian Sobchak. Number one, exotic melodramas. So the film setting generates plot and action. Number two is crook melodramas. Main characters are the criminals. Number three was bizarre melodramas, so physically deformed or freakishly designed characters. And number four was uh, he had a few mystery melodramas where solving a crime uh, was big. It was usually murders, and it would usually had to do with debunking the supernatural explanations. 
So those are the nerd alerts. Okay. So, uh, as you would like to say, buckle up. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait. Settle in. Here we go. That means take a sip, people. So, I started with looking up freak shows, which mm -hmm. we dove into a little when we did our. Uh, I don't know why I can never remember that name of that damn movie. The Greatest Showman. The yeah. Greatest Showman. In my mind, it's This Is Me, because it's like, oh like, yeah, the song is so much better than the film. <laughs> yeah. It's an all-time yeah. great bop. So I dug into Freak Show. So the Freak Show, Um. also I got a lot of this information from Wikipedia, so if it's wrong, it's Wikipedia's fault. <laughs> It's described as an exhibition of biological rarities referred to in pop culture as freaks of nature. Typical features would be physical, unusual humans, physically unusual humans, such as those uncommonly large or small, those with intersex variation, those with extraordinary diseases and conditions, and others with performances expected to be shocking to humans like this basically anything color. you're not used to or the fire eater right mm -hmm. oh yeah or like heavily tattooed people mm -hmm. but those are i wonder if that is there like a distinction between those because a sword swallower and like like those are are skills that's like the sideshow right yeah and then like the the freak show is based Basically, in my mind, uh, and I apologize, I don't mean any disrespect, but it's where something that you wouldn't have any control over. It's how you were yeah, born. Yeah, the way mm -hmm. you were born instead mm -hmm. of, yeah. But That's that what it, I gathered. Yeah, that it's different. It. I like the term. What, yeah. what, what did they say? They said in the quote, the, quote, the movie begins with, they did not ask to be brought into the world, but into the world they came. Right. That's how the film began. Is yeah, that but what you're talking about no, you you said it in your description. I think it was like a the right parlance for the time. Like it wasn't. You didn't say disabled. It was differently biological rarities. Yeah, biological rarities. Physically unusual humans. Physically unusual. Uncommonly yeah. large or small. Yeah. Anything expected to be shocking to humans. So. I feel like we always hear freak shows and like the, you know, Barnum and Bailey's type situation, P.T. Barnum, like 18, what was that, 1850s, 60s, and early 1900s, but it really mm -hmm. dates back to medieval times. Oh, it, it had um, from the get-go, from the jump, right. you know, because people well, were born and it would have to be a thing. Truly, it says that this has been a thing since, um, oh, what did they say? I'm guessing like Mesopotamia, like yeah, cave drawings that there'll be like, like babies born with different limbs and they'll probably hieroglyphic drawings in caves. Yeah. Since people started colonizing other places, there's been and finding other people who are different than them. That's oh, oh, yeah, because yeah, that's yes. a great point that we don't really bring about because these could be people and in different cultures, they could be signs of gods and mm -hmm. and and like worship them put upon exactly. and then it's oh, we're gonna get there okay we're gonna get there 
So and uh, so in 1646, around that, well, before then, I don't know, I don't have the date of birth. I'm sorry, but Lazarus and Johannes Baptista Colorado, they were conjoined twins from Italy, and Lazarus appeared normal, but his brother was like his brother, like the top part of his torso and like his left leg, uh, was conjoined at the front of him. So he started uh, making, you know, touring, showing that off. Yeah. Um, but when, like, his brother, Ioannis, would not, didn't speak or anything like that. So, but was alive, it seems. There's not a lot of information. It's from the 1640s. But when he wasn't being, you know, exhibiting that, he had a cloak over him. Mm, um, I'm sure. And interestingly enough, uh Lazarus was scheduled to be hung to death I believe for killing another man but he got out of it because he was like well if you hang me you're killing my brother too and he didn't do yeah. it yeah oh wow. wow yeah he he didn't so that, pin it on his brother which <laughs> oh no yeah well yeah. he was the one that did it I'm completely innocent if you hang him, yeah oh you're killing me hey okay. so at least he wasn't that's interesting. Yeah. And it's also interesting that the murder aspect of it. Like, what were the circumstances I know. of that? There's literally like four sentences about him on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, there seems to be a lot that's missing from this man's yes. life. So, in the 19th century, it was when freak shows reached maturity as commercially run enterprises in Europe and the United States. But not all of the abnormalities were real. So they mm -hmm. would kind of take, that's when you get into, you know, there, yeah, there were people who without limbs or things like that, physical disabilities, but they were kind of taking people in any way to make money off of them. So people who appeared non-white or had a disability were often exhibited as unknown races and cultures. Oh, cha-ching! Yep. I'm hearing, I'm hearing dollar dollar bills. Yep. Now you, now I would just be in a television commercial, in a you know Cheerios commercial. So, <laughs> yeah. With oh, so much has changed. Yes. <laughs> um, advertised as undiscovered humans to attract viewers. Mm -hmm. Example: those with microcephaly, which you talked about already, um, which linked to intellectual disabilities and characterized by a small head and overall structure. They were called, they were characterized as mis being missing links or atavistic specimens of an extinct race. Um, oh, and then wow. like those with missing limbs were characterized in the exotic mode and be as like animal people, such as the snake man and the seal man. Actually the, um, the people without with only torsos and heads were called worm people back mm -hmm. in the day. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so like it talked a little bit about the stages of putting on a freak show, but I, it's also explanatory. But the last final stage, they said often they had doctors authenticate the exhibits by using medical terms that no one could comprehend, but added an air of authenticity to the proceedings. Mm. So they just, just like some Latin and everything. Just like the fine. woman who mm -hmm. suckled George Washington, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so then I found these two quotes, and then this is where I took a turn. Oh, man. 
Okay. So we, we got a text about this rabbit hole. So yeah. So freak show culture normalized a specific way of thinking about gender, race, sexual aberrance, ethnicity, and disability. And scholars believe that freak shows contributed significantly to the way American culture views non-conforming bodies. Freak shows are a place for the general public to scrutinize bodies different from their own, from dark-skinned people to victims of war and diseases to ambiguously sexed bodies. People felt that paying to view these freaks gave them permission to come. And I, anytime we're saying freaks, we're putting it in quotation. I hope our listeners know mm-hmm. that. Yeah, please um, know. Felt that that gave them to per- permission to compare themselves favorably to the mm-hmm. freaks. Um, and then, it, you know, because I'm going to say, like, the end of the freak show, I think a lot of people at first contributed it to TV and movies coming along so people could, like, watch this in their own home. But really, it was the rise of disability rights that led to the end of freak shows. Thank goodness. But, so, you know, at the end of Wikipedia article where it has links to things... Mm-hmm. Um, you never, never really look at that. You never oh, really yeah, look at you can them. find some interesting gems in those. Yeah, so, and the section that says see also, mm-hmm. um, I clicked on human zoo. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. You went down a dark hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I clicked on human zoo. And it is exactly what you would expect. But the first picture you see is a little black girl in a cage, like in an enclosed. It's a cage, but it's like a fenced in area. And the description says an African girl fed by the outstretched white hand of a patron during the 1958 Brussels World's Fair featuring mm-hmm. Congo Village with visitors watching her from behind wooden fences. Oh, wow. say, say that year again. 1958. Yeah, you were alive, Ma. I was six years old. So I didn't get to go down a huge uh, 1958 Brussels World's Fair rabbit hole, but it doesn't seem good. Um. So then I went down the 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 Belgium were didn't they they colonized a lot of Africa? Yeah, they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were all yeah they were all up in the mix. Oh, yeah, we're not done with Belgium yet. They make excellent um, chocolate. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Both things can be true. Uh, yeah, that's the, what, yes. So, okay, human zoos. Started in the Renaissance. Yeah, I'm sure. During the Renaissance, Medici developed a collection of people from different races as well as exotic animals. Both of those things together is one. Exactly. The animals and the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tw- our 2021 fuckboy of the year, P.T. Barnum, he had one of the first human exhibits with Joyce Heth, who we talked about yes. during that episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, then they became, human zoos became common, it said, in the 1870s. Uh, exhibitions of exotic populations became popular throughout the Western world. Places like Paris, Hamburg, London, Milan, New York City, and Chicago. Uh, they so Carl Hagenbeck, who was an animal trader, was one of the first people to do like one of these human zoos. 
And what differentiated it from a freak show was that he showed these people with animals and plants in an exhibit to recreate what would be their natural environment. And he was saying that he was, you know, he was selling the feeling of having traveled to these areas with his, with his exhibits. Oh, so this was educational. This is educational. And the yeah. people that he exhibited were the Sami people, S-A-M-I, who are indigenous, uh, indigenous people inhabiting the region of Sami, S-A-M-I, which today encompasses large parts of Norway, Sweden, and Finland. Oh, okay. So those are the Scandinavia. Who is the, they're indigenous people that lived up in those areas, and they were. I believe so. And they so he brought the and so he was showing them with the animals and plants of their natural environment. What were what did they did it show like pictures of what they looked like? Because I'm I'm I didn't ask in clip. terms of like. Um, like, you know, that like I'm American, so American cast is based on skin color. So I just wondered what the native They look kind of like native if you were to if you were to look at a Native Americans, like the picture I'm looking at, they they have teepees and oh, like okay. Eskimos. Like um Eskimos. Yeah, like then yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, because yeah. they would they, they had teepees, but um but they had like fur clothes. You know, fur coats yeah. and because they're mm -hmm. it's cold. Mm -hmm. They're they would do um, they traditionally they did coastal fishing, fur trapping, and sheep mm -hmm. herding, but they're best known for reindeer herding. Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah. Husky, meat fur and transportation. Picture. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it. it's just completely horrible, Nordic. but it's in the yes. it's in the name human zoo. Like when you, yes. that's why I think that every age, like when you're a little kid, you really like the zoo because you get to see the animals, but you get to a certain age where then they make, it makes you sad. At least me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, he tried to say he's it's creating the experience of having traveled there, but in reality it's stereotyping and projecting Western superiority. Right. And putting mm -hmm. people in a zoo. In cages. Yes. Um, yeah. You're in, in a cage to be gawked at by people who look at yes. them who, but by the fact that you are there and I paid money to see you, I am therefore superior to you. Right. I am mm -hmm. so many rungs up that ladder. Yeah. It's, so, it's uh, laying the foundation of caste. <laughs> Here yeah. we go. We're building it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So then next in the timeline, 1878 and 1889, uh, Parisian World's Fairs both had a Negro village. And the 1889 World's Fair displayed 400 indigenous people as the major attraction, which 28 million people saw. Mm -hmm. um, in 1886, Spanish, the Spanish displayed natives of the Philippines, um, mm -hmm. saying that they had civilized them. Mm. Uh, there was uh, German, oh, German ethnographs. They had human displays incorporated into zoos as saying it was educational. 
and a way to show that Europeans had evolved into a superior cosmopolitan mm-hmm. lift. Go figure from the Germans. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Go to the well, we're going to hit we're gonna hit more close to home here because in 1896, the Cincinnati Zoo invited <laughs> 100. Well, hey, that's a, that's, that's a German stronghold. So. It sure is. Totally German. One, 100 Sioux Native Americans to establish a village on their site and lived there for they lived there for three months. I didn't dig, get to dig into like why you know how they ended up talking them into that. Um, well, because they probably were like you could Oklahoma or Cincinnati. <laughs> I choose Cincinnati. Because Cincinnati, there's some water. And so. then just further on the time, well, unlike North Carolina, um, um, in 1931, <laughs> the Paris exhibition uh, had a zoo so famous that. 331 million people visited in six months. So, like, it just keeps going in, in the timeline. Yeah. It's just yeah. basically your, just Europe. Yeah. Just, just spreading that white supremacy around the globe. Yeah. So then where I... Okay. Then I got into the first... Uh... The first time it was the first backlash. That's the word I'm looking for. Ah, oh, the first okay. time somebody was like, mm, "Excuse yeah. me," and everybody was like, "Shut up with your cancel culture!" Oh my gosh, I have freedom <laughs> here too. And her name so, was Karen. There's an article. There's a New York Times article by Mitch Keller from 2006 called "The Scandal at the Zoo." Oh. And uh, it's about the Bronx Zoo. Yes. And yeah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1906, uh, on September 8th, 1906, these New Yorkers were just going to the Bronx Zoo on a Saturday morning. And at the monkey house, there is a man. No. Really? Yep. Yep. Um, there was a very small, dark man with grotesquely pointed teeth. He wore modern clothing, but no shoes. He was proficient with a bow and arrow and entertained the crowd by shooting at a target. He displayed skill at weaving with twine, made amusing faces, and drank soda. I'll bet that's the next all day, The next day, when they came back, there was a sign posted that gave his... Um, Height, he was four feet, 11 inches, weighed 103 pounds, and age was 23. And Wait, um, I'm sorry, he's mm-hmm. four foot 11? Like, that? Yes. That's, so, close. that's close to my height. Well, I mean, I got a good 40 pounds on the man, but. <laughs> so it was a Congolese pygmy named Ot- Otabinga, which I had to look up, but. Um, what a pygmy, what, what is the okay. definition of a pygmy? Yeah. Which says in anthropology, pygmy peoples are ethnic groups whose average height is unusually short. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's where they came from. Yeah. It's beneficial. Yeah. African pygmies are a group of ethnicities native to central Africa, mostly the Congo basin, um, Belgian traditionally Congo. subsisting on a forager and hunter gatherer lifestyle. 
Yeah. So that's where that. So okay. Just, so this blonde hair, blue eyed Belgian is like, look at these little people. <laughs> yeah. Scoop them all up. We will take them back, and we will get gold and jewels. Okay. Well, we're gonna get into that because Otabinga lived. <laughs> um. So. He was a survivor of a pygmy slaughter carried out by the Force Publique, which is a vicious armed force from Belgium. Yeah. Uh, among the dead were Ota's wife and his two children. Mm. But the killers sold him into slavery. Mm-hmm. While he was, and so he's in a slave market when a man named Samuel Werner, he had been hired to go get some pygmies and other Africans and bring them. <laughs> go get yes. some pygmies. Yes, oh, and oh. bring them back to St. Louis for the anthropology exhibit at the 1904 World's Fair. I hear the World's Fair a lot, and I'm yes. real. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah. like a fuck the World's Fair. Uh-huh. I used to think that would be such a cool thing. The World's thing, Fair but- might be a fuckboy contender of the year. Well, I think the World's Fair is the world according to white Western European yes. eyes. Like, that's what the world's fair is. Come look and and we will because yeah, I mean we already established in the in the 30s and stuff. Who knows? Does anybody know like what happened with Japan and like no, we're not taught about that. No. None of that. Like the world's like you say, it's like the world's fair is the same as major league baseball and the world series when it's only teams that are from what couple in Canada and the United States. It's kind of what Western Europeans, that's kind of their bag is by world, we mean us. Yeah. So he did that. And as (laughs) promised, he brought him back. And then as promised, he took him back to Africa afterwards. So he was like, okay, you're coming. Oh, he released him back into the But then we're going to take you back. Yes. But then... Oda, Ota had a, I'm not, I'm not sorry if I'm say, saying his name wrong. It's O-T-A. Um, Ota. Ota. I so he had a hard time when he went back. Understandably so. He was having a hard time adjusting back to his life. So. Well, can you imagine like his people coming back and they're like, like who knows what their situation is. Yeah. And he's gone off. He's living in the African bush and then he's coming, go lives in St. Louis for a while. And then they're like, go back here. And Werner, the guy who brought him over, he like was, he's obsessed with Africa. So he was staying, he's like, I'm going to hang out in Africa for a while, collect some artifacts and animal specimens. By collect, I mean, deal, strip, mine, and take all of your African resources. Well, and and also the article calls them friends like Ota and Mr. Werner developed a friendship which I'm sure it was some sort of I don't know whatever but there's just so much cast within that yeah and so it claims that Ota asked him to return to what they called the land of the white man so he brought him but it claims he asked I who know what you know so he brought him back to New York City in 1906 um we're saying that this guy verner is from south carolina not north carolina um (laughs) 
Okay, so here's where we go. So then they go to the American Museum of Natural History. <laughs> and the director at the time, Her Herman Bumpus, the director oh, of the museum. Bumpus? <laughs> he yeah, would be Bumpus. the director of the museum. Yeah. He agreed to, he was going to store, not only, he'll keep all of Werner's co like collectibles that he brought uh, from Africa, which included some chimpanzees, but he would also keep Otabinga himself. Mm. So, yeah, but mm. Werner was broke, apparently. So he left. He was like, I'm going to go oh, back wait. home. Oh, wait, Werner was bad with money? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so he is like, I got to go. I got to go get some money in the South. Um, you can, you just keep him. So Ota lived in the Museum of Natural History and he was given a place to sleep. I don't and... remember that from Night at the Museum. <laughs> I know. Well, he, <laughs> you do because he was free to roam around the museum and that was the whole movie. <laughs> they talk, um, there's so many, the label, the layers upon this. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? The, the real protagonist of Night at the Museum is not Ben Stiller, but it's Ota? It's Ota Binga. And, I want a remake. Okay, this is a, I don't, it says he was given a place to sleep and seems to have been free to roam around the museum. And then this sentence, Mr. Bumpus bought him a white duck suit. Oh, I don't know what that has no. to do with anything, oh, no. but he's wearing a duck suit running <laughs> around this, the museum. Is this where oh. white parties came from? <laughs> I mean. So then this, then, I mean, clearly Ota's like, what the fuck? They're like holding me hostage here. So he, this part I love, he did some other things. He threw, but he threw a chair at Florence Guggenheim. Yes. And almost hit her in the head. So Mr. Bumpus was like, I can't keep him here anymore. You're going to have to take him somewhere else. So then that's when he ends up at the zoo. Oh. Another fuck boy, Hornaday. I don't know his first name. I guess it doesn't matter. He fuck was the director. Yeah, Fuckboy Hornaday. He was the director at the Bronx Zoo. So he agreed to lodge, not, he's going to lodge all of Werner's animals, like his chimpanzees that he brought back, but also Ota. Well, and, I mean, this is where you say, yeah, because he didn't see Ota as being a human. Right. He is Because he's lodging him with all of the animals. Right. So, again... He's free to wander the zoo as he pleased. Oh, that's oh. so nice. Wow. Yeah. That's um, so you can pick up the peanuts <laughs> that didn't make it yeah. into the... Oh, well, that's... So, and sometimes he helped the animal keepers with their jobs. Oh, that's To the nice. point of Hornaday them. saying that he was employed by the zoo, but there is no record that he was ever paid. Ever paid? <clears throat> that's just my white of Hornaday. Yeah. Ain't it? So, Ain't it just so. So he, Ota spends a lot of time at the monkey house caring for Mr. Werner's one surviving chimp. And as we, and as we know from research, like monkeys and orangutans and everything, they can, they act like people, like they form bonds with people. So if you're here and you've been traveled around with all of these other, like all these chimpanzees, I mean, I would be like that with Tommy. If my dogs and I were stuck at a zoo, I'd be like, well, I'm going to hang out with you, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and then he bonded with another orangutan named Joe Hong. So he had, he was like, well, I guess I'm going to fucking make friends with these monkeys here. Like mm -hmm. they're the only people I can talk to. Um, so this is where like just Wikipedia 
you know, you don't get the whole story. So he wasn't placed in the cage that second weekend in September and put on display. It was far subtler. So he was already spending a lot of time in the monkey house where he was free to come and go. But they, to encourage him to hang out there, they put his hammock in there and an empty in an empty cage yes. and then they gave him bow and arrows and set up a target to encourage him to start shooting i mean we have a hand here's your favorite hammock here are yep. all of your toys and he just uh, like comes wandering in if you mm-hmm. want to you don't and then like so then they get to be like that's how that's just dastardly it's so just that's dastardly. And that's what the zoo goers found that one day. And so they didn't have it. That's why on the second day, the word was out with a headline in the New York Times that read, Bushman shares a cage with Bronx Park apes. And thousands went to the zoo that day to see the new attraction. Um, You know, and he's running around like he's like hanging out with the orangutan because that was his friend. But it didn't quickly because... Because um, they were in the Bronx? (laughs) Yep. And a man named Reverend James H. Gordon, who was superintendent of the Howard Colored Orphan Asylum in Brooklyn. He was quoted as saying, our race we think is depressed enough without exhibiting one of us with apes. We are worthy of being considered human beings with souls. And imagine like this man is like like because we got the I'm like what the fuck yes we got like the Harlem Renaissance going on we got like this is the this is like 1906 so it's around the time of you know fuckboy Woodrow Wilson so you know like this is like it this is you know like black people have their freedom and they're like getting educated mm-hmm. and all of these things and trying you have the old man was lynched today so it's not like these things like black people are just being quiet they're going to the right. zoo and then you're like are you fucking kidding me yep and so the black uh the, well, it's the the protests were from largely from the Colored Baptist Ministers Conference, and he suspended the so Hornaday suspended the exhibit that Monday afternoon. So it only lasted from Saturday to Monday. Um, so it says to the black ministers and their allies, the message of the exhibit was clear: the African was meant to be seen as falling somewhere on the evolutionary scale between the apes with which he was housed and the people in the overwhelmingly white crowds who found him so entertaining. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just racism that they were offended by, because as Christians, they did not believe in Darwin. And the exhibit oh. also aims to be a demonstration of Darwin's theory of evolution, which is absolutely opposed to Christianity. And a public demonstration in its favor should not be permitted. Wow. So it was, uh-huh. Well, let's throw religion um, in there, you know? Yeah. But God, yeah. That's so that's um human zoos. Uh so they Wait, but oh, even oh, let me tell you. So um he ended up uh he ended up killing himself, yes. No. Well, I mean, you yeah. know, 
Yeah. I yeah. wanted um, it to be a happy ending, for, but it was a happy ending for him. I mean, towards the end of charged. September, uh, arrangements were made for him to live at the Howard Colored Orphan Asylum, which, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then he was eventually sent to the asylum's facility in Eastern Long Island. Uh, and then in January 1910, he was moved to Lynchburg, uh, where he spent a semester at a Baptist cemetery. Uh, he, Lynchburg, Virginia? I believe so. Oh, shit. <laughs> where he had his teeth capped and became his... Uh, well, one of the things that... One of the reasons that uh, this Werner guy was so obsessed with him is because he had like his teeth shaved into points, which is just for that, like what his people did. That was normal for his people. Uh-uh. Uh-huh. So, and Lynchburg, he had his teeth capped and became known as Otto Bingo. He spent time in the woods hunting with a bow and arrow and gathering plants and herbs. He did odd jobs and worked at a tobacco factory. Um, so it was he became Virginia. friendly with the poet Anne Spencer, who lived in Lynchburg, and he met Booker T. Washington through her. Um, and then the article says no one can be absolutely sure why Ota Binga killed himself that afternoon, but I have a pretty good reason and feeling I, why. I, I just feel like all the trauma from his entire life. Maybe. You know what? Uh, cast. This. Yeah. <laughs> just cast America. This is America. Wow. You know, it's the interesting thing because there was that thing in the news this week, um, and it's, it's interesting that you have to pay it. This is why words matter and stuff when you hear people and they talk about like the voters' rights bills and then you have people and when you hear them speak and it's even some people with good intentions of separating black Americans from Americans. They'll be like Americans mm-hmm. and then use black Americans, which by it, that implication is to put a wedge and to say you are not an American. And that's the same thing. I believe thing. Mitch McConnell did that this week. Yeah. Chuck Todd also kind of did that. Like a lot of, uh, but a lot of people do it and not really understand. Like it's just something that can, that can slip, you know, and not being, it's not something that's necessary. Like with Mitch McConnell, I think there is the nefarious thing, but it's that it's cast. It's how deeply embedded yeah. cast is in the system that, you will go to that and not even realize that the words that you're saying are implying, even when mm-hmm. you're trying to to do the opposite. It's like, wow. yeah, yeah, that shit goes deep. And yeah. it did end by saying, um, like a lot of people were saying they would like to see the Bronxu do a, like have a statue of him, but like, Oh, that's kind of weird for me anyway. Like, do, yeah. we don't want to, like, don't want to, but also he said, uh, we don't feel like that's necessary. We'd rather go. Um, I, we think the best way to honor him is to preserve wild places in Congo. Mm-hmm. And yes. they said, after a hundred years, Otabinga seems to be having the last word. His name has been adopted by the Otabinga Alliance for Peace, Healing, and Dignity in Congo, and by a Houston based collective of African American artists called. Odabinga Jones and Associates. Oh, that's um, he was the subject of a three-day conference in Lynchburg that included lectures, readings, and an an assert some kind of service that I can't pronounce the name of. Um, Dr. Dabinga and other participants in that conference are hoping to have an even bigger one with Congolese pygmies in attendance. 
So, wow. yeah. I mean, the human zoo thing wow. is because there's also that famous, and I don't know what her name is, but was, um, she was just had, like, they would put people who had huge derrieres, backsides. Oh, uh, yes. As well. Yes. And because you you hear about that then when it comes to, um, oh, what is it called? It's when, like, how people are getting, uh, like, non-black people are getting uh, butt implants. Mm-hmm. Or even, mm-hmm. like, I guess black people. But just, like, to to have that look. And that look had, like, people who had that naturally were put in human zoos. And, and like, yeah, yeah there's a picture of it. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's wild. So and, yeah, there's that's the human zoo. And it's just taking something that's just different from what y- you are and being like, oh, put it in the zoo. But that's humans are wild. Yeah, wild. Really wow. It's that ladder. So now we are two reheatables. And we have done quite a few negative reheatables. Does anybody have any to share that we haven't already shared? Mm, yes. I feel like we've talked about a lot of them, but exactly. the things that we haven't, I wrote traveling by horse and carriage. So glad that that's not how we get around anymore. Mm. Yeah. And, and I mean, so I was watching when uh, Cleopatra was cooking for the strong man. Uh, it was eggs. I mean, that's yeah. What else could you carry with you? And of course, there yeah, no indoor water, no indoor mm-hmm. toilet, no indoor shower. That it, it was uh, that, that was a rough life. The circus life was mm-hmm. not an easy life. Yeah, but it was also 1932, so it wasn't. Like it a lot of anywhere. people, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. like a lot of people were were living that running water electricity life. Yeah, the dust bowl and everybody yeah. was poor. Nobody had enough food to eat. And then I put drinking out of the same cup, mm-hmm. the love just cup. A, yeah, just as a negative reheatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. So when this all starts, there's a whole bunch of German accents going on. Hans, Frieda, Olga, all rocking German accents. So I was like, is this a German circus? And then I thought it was really interesting. I just said, wow, you really don't see many regular German characters in cinema after 1941. It's, you know, like just and like 1941's being generous. It just seems like with the rise of Hitler, all of a sudden, like Germans got they were spies and uh, Nazis after that. They had a few other things on their minds. It's just, yeah. Um, I like how, so specific to the movie, but I like how Hans grew up rich. And this is the first time that he's ever been seduced by, um, mm-hmm. like you know, like a, a different kind of woman than him. I don't want to, you know. Just, well, maybe every other um, full-bodied woman just just assumed that he couldn't have money. If and why was he in the circus if he was rich? I probably the community, maybe the sense probably of community. The community maybe yeah. he just like go, but he dressed impeccable. Yeah, he did. He looked so fantastic in his little suit. 
because it, it, it was just a well-tailored suit is what I mean. Like, he he looked really good. Um, Hercules as a strong man? Like, really? Yeah, I know. Very flabby to me. Look at me body shaming. Um, okay. I have... So this is all in regards to the end of the film, which I didn't get. So basically what happens in the movie is that Cleopatra seduces Hans um, because she wants to get his money and marries him. And then when and because she was a trapeze artist, which I didn't really even get from the movie. I kind of didn't understand who Cleopatra was, what her role, Mm. like, why is she even there? I didn't get and then I find out, oh, she was a trapeze artist. Um, I didn't, when they show her at the end as a half chicken, I thought, I was like, wait, what? I don't, because it, it was so obvious that it wasn't, it wasn't real. And right. that's, there's so much to unpack there with, yeah, like, you know, just all of what I'm saying. And that's part of why this movie is a great reheatable because you can just unpack everything in it but it was so like it was it was so different all of a sudden like oh okay because i thought this is what i thought was going to happen with the film you find like they do that that classic thing of like you don't see the grotesque and i have grotesque in quotations Mm -hmm. like the freak that they're alluding to at the beginning and you see the whole backstory. I'm like, oh, okay. She was a trapeze artist. All right. She has a trapeze accident. And then they don't set her bones and she heals all differently, you know? Uh-huh. And that's what I thought that then you would see. And it would just be her with limbs in different directions. And when it comes back, she is, is like this human chicken. But you can tell because it's it's done with makeup and stuff. So I didn't... I. Like, literally, when the movie ended, I was like, what the fuck? I don't understand it. And then when I read the synopsis, because I'm thinking, like, yeah, this is a very sympathetic portrayal. Yeah, this is a sense of community and stuff. And then I find out, because at the end, I didn't end up how she ended up a half chicken. I was like, did they mess her up? Is she being dressed up? All of this stuff. And then I find out, no, they cut her tongue out. They gouged out an eye. Her flesh and her hands were melted. They cut off her legs and they tarred and feathered her permanently. Oh, oh see, my I God. Didn't I didn't. That I didn't. That oh. much thought yeah. Just like, oh, shit. They turned her into a chicken. Yeah, so, me too. And so, no, they turned her into a air quotes freak like them. Right. Well, I got that. I just didn't think about how they. I didn't either. No, and that, and that's the thing of like, wait a second. That's why this whole movie then went like, oh. Once they started attacking her, well, they needed to kill her regardless. They should. They she deserved that. But yeah, the ending kind of took a turn for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it, it basically throughout all of the humanity that they had given all of the characters leading up to it of showing them Mm -hmm. in their real life and when they do the the turn on her and when they're coming after her a lot of people say that that that's why it's like a horror movie because it's creepy to watch them all coming after slowly in the rain but i was like no like 
this is this is community. This is family. Like you spit on one, you spit on us right. all. We right. invited you into our group and you didn't want us. And then you tried to kill one of ours. Nah, you got to go be. And they were like, just, you know, like circling the wagons, taking her out. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. But then the fact that they then made her into something to then be exploited. I was like, I don't. I don't know. I don't really see Hans doing that. I don't like I don't see the individual characters going and doing that. That exploited the whole yeah. um the whole thing of when my college roommate said little people are mean. Mhm. I mean it just it, was, it, it it reinforced that. That's exactly. when it became an exploitive film because then it became the horror film. Because I never right. thought that it was a horror film until I exactly. was reading about it. And then at the end, and then it was like, oh, the horror is that me as an able-bodied person, if I do these people wrong, then they will turn me into one of them. And then because I have such uh, my own issues with that, that would be horrific in my my eyes. And so that that's maybe my college roommate saw this movie. Maybe she did. Maybe. It came out. I mean, we already established that. Um, I think that it was a. I put this in my bad reheatables, but it could be Irving Thalberg being a, a boy wonder because it's easy to say we'll never know what those scenes were. But I have to say it. It being like a sixty whatever minute film, I. I'm kind of with like I I don't agree in that they just did it, the editing without Todd Browning knowing, but it's MGM, like that's how they rolled. This is a business. Thalberg was the boss. He kind of he put up the money. He kind of was within his right. I know it's controversial to then go in and recut it without Homeboy's knowledge. It's kind of like that's the cost to do a business. You don't have to agree with it, but you know, the the, the guy had to protect his investment. So I kind of see it. And then my final negative reheatable, besides the fact that the all that other footage that was cut is like lost and that we'll never we'll never be able to see, like, oh my God. This, you know, it could go either way. Honestly. That could be a positive reheatable too. It could be a positive reheatable. Those scenes were cut. Like those scenes could have been like, oh my God, Thalberg like really <laughs> saved the plane. Or it could be like, oh, it was gonna be like we have no idea because that's it's lost to history. Um when they're chanting one of us, one of us, I was all in. But then when they put in the Google gobble. Google gobble. <laughs> I don't like the Google gobble is on my negative reheatable because that put it into that's exploitative somehow to me. Mm -hmm. The Google yeah. gobble part, mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, where, what is, unless that means something and I am ignorant of that, you know, this is one of those things where I'm an able bodied person and I don't want to sit up here and be like, you can't be saying Google gobble. Just to me, I was like, oh, I don't know. This doesn't, maybe it is. I don't know. So. I feel like that's when it took a turn of, yeah. Yeah, yeah it did. Because you didn't. Started to. I like the one of us, one of us, the going around, because you knew what was going to happen. You just knew. 
Yeah. But for some reason, adding the gooble gobble, gooble gobble, it, it just, it put it almost into a, a kid's show kind of sing-songy, like, weird thing that I was like, you didn't need that. One of us, one of us, <laughs> one of us. You didn't need the weird gooble gobble because it was weird enough. So weird to positive reheatable. Um, I'm saying showing the handy capa- capabilities of mm-hmm. people and showing what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't have down Cleopatra's zebra chase lounge pillow situation. Oh, I missed I it. I completely oh, I, missed it. I didn't. I I was I was still in shock. Um, and the length I love. Yes. I'm sorry. Mac is like rubbing his chin on the carpet, like obsessively. Like I just, it caught my eye. Um, (laughs) well, he is a bit of a freak. Yeah. He's got a boo-boo. It probably itches. Yes. He needs hydrogen peroxide. So he doesn't get, (laughs) he's prone to infections on his face. And then I thought Cleopatra's drunk acting was incredible. Oh, yeah. It was so uncomfortable, real. It was yeah. so uncomfortable. Yes. I have Hans dressing for success. I thought that Hans really? owned the circus. I, I like Hans. Uh, yeah. yeah. I like Hans a lot. I know, yeah, me too. Hans and um, Frida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. I put uh, pre-code films, just like they just they just told, told it like it is, which is not something that we're used to in seeing old That's films. I mean, true. there was the innuendo of between Hercules and Cleopatra. She's like, "Oh, do you want something to eat?" And she's like, well, "Like, there's that whole scene, and it's about eggs." But then at one point, she like undoes her, uh, it, like shows her midriff. She's like, "What do you think?" And it's. Oh, it caused such a stir with the censors. Like, this movie is... That caused a stir with the censors? Well, yeah, because it was all the sexual innuendo. And then there was also the sexual innuendo with Violet and Daisy implying, like, how oh, dare yeah. the co-joined twins have well, each have different sex lives and I all mean, of that didn't, stuff. Didn't you ponder on that attention? Yeah, but that, but exactly. It's like, that's one of the things where it's like, well, yes, they are allowed to have their own sex lives, but then <sighs> how does that actually work? I know. And then they each get married and they, and you're just like, I just wanted to know more about this, the situation. And it showed that when he scratched one, the shoulder of one of the conjoined twins, the other one felt it. So you're mm-hmm. going, well, Okay, yes. I'm just saying that I hope um, the dude who stuttered, and that was that was his entrance into the freak show because he's st- anyway. Mm-hmm. I hope that both of the husbands were extremely satisfying, so the other sister could have a good time too. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, we got to because this is a pre-code film. We got to in real time witness the birth of a Dateline episode. Because you actually see when Cleopatra plots to kill Hans for his money. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, man. Like, she's just straight up like, yo, I'm going to marry him and murder him. He's going to get sick because he's in a little body. So he's sickly. It's I got this under control, Hercules. And then Keith Morrison shows up. 
Yeah. But what she didn't know. <laughs> um I I liked I tend with all of the, the things and how it's so problematic, I tend to lean toward it being a sympathetic, exploitative portrait of sideshow characters rather than an all-out exploitative one. Like, they're a family, and we don't see... We don't really see people gawk at them. Like, it's, it's all kind of... Yeah. You know, we only see like the people... They're living beside you. They're living together. Like, I saw one... Uh, I saw it tiktok actually of a girl who was like you know this it's it shows they're all living together like who's the other girl not cleopatra the other venus no not venus no, no her name was venus oh her, the other yeah. normal girl yeah wait i thought venus was the, the one with no bodied one no, v- Venus, like the woman who was referred to as Venus de Milo, her name was actually Frances O'Connor. Okay. And okay. there is a character of Venus in right. the film. Right. Okay. Well, I shouldn't have said normal. The other able-bodied woman, she, like, there's that scene of, like, they're just doing laundry outside together. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. and uh, um, and Frida, I think. So, like, they're just, yes. like, they're just living their normal lives together. Exactly. That's what how most of the film is. It's just them. It's behind the scenes. Them just living their lives. And everyone shows them actually performing, and people, no. like, you know. Yeah, that was stuff that got cut out. That Thalberg cut out. So that's what's very interesting. But it's okay with me because I wanted to see them as a community, living a good life. Yeah. In Being 32. human. Yeah. Just just seeing like pulling back the curtain and just seeing what they're real life isn't telling these stories and then the haze code comes in and people are because it made people feel uncomfortable then we we don't get to see these stories and right. we still don't see them right to this day um and then my final good reheatable was i like the inside of hans's caravan thing i like their oh, his yeah, little stove nice. and he had his little bed and it seemed very roomy for a caravan but i agree and it was made to fit for ada yeah Accommodations. So those are my reheatables. So we are two quotables. Mm-hmm. One from the beginning was, um, uh, I think it was the strong man and um, not Victor Victoria, but Josephine Joseph mm-hmm. walked by and dude says, I think she likes you, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hans, I want no orders from a woman. Mm-hmm. And they are going to make you one of us. I have, we accept her one of us. And then my man, I could do anything with my mouth. <laughs> I only wrote, they did not ask to be brought into the world, but into the world they came. Exactly. Exactly. This, but for the grace of God, go you. Okay. LVPs? Uh, well, at first, I just freak shows in general. Mm-hmm. It's was my LVP, uh, but Cleopatra's a bitch. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
She's my main MVP. My I had honorable mention. MVP. I mean LVP. LVP. Yeah, sorry. My honorable mention LVP is Frida because she did have loose lips. And why would you tell Cleopatra how loaded? And he's got I'm money. Well, yeah. Like you played yourself, girl. What are you doing? Exactly. Don't advertise your man. She was all lined up for that. Like, well, actually, he's got a huge inheritance. And she's like, excuse me? Because she knew he so had money. What? But then she was like, oh, no, he's like loaded, loaded. Oh, well, now yeah. I'm going to marry him and kill him. Yeah. So, but yeah, my real LVP is Cleopatra. Because she's a fucking she just, She's at the wedding and makes out with her able-bodied yeah. boyfriend at the wedding reception in front of everyone and especially in front of honorable mention frida which is another reason why she gets honorable mention because she has to be at the wedding and the reception she was so pretty her eyelashes were amazing Okay. Uh, MVP. I mean, and then, sorry, because oh. Cleopatra also then says, like, dirty, slimy freaks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, and do you, like, look at her arms. Do you think that she's a good trapeze artist? I yeah, didn't she didn't really have muscle. I, yeah, I didn't buy her as being a trapeze artist one bit. So Cleopatra reminds me of my teaching days when I had a um, student who um, had Down syndrome. And, oh my God, she was so funny. But uh, she was the one where I got, I fought it. Because every day after lunch, she would let you know, I fought it. (laughs) But um, one of the quotation marks, a uh, regular students in my class that year. Able-bodied a little boy um, became really fascinated with her and he would have her over for play dates and, and stuff. And it was like, Oh, this is so good. This is what inclusion is about having kids with some issues with kids who have issues of their own, but they don't show up on the, on the chart. Yeah. They're not vis. They can't be visually identified. Exactly. So. And, and these two people came together and, and became true friends but I walked into the cafeteria one day and my little down syndrome girl was eating out of the garbage with everybody else in my class laughing hysterically. And the boy who was supposed to be her friend had agged her on to do that. Mm. And I lost it. Slapped him silly across the room. It was not, it was probably not a really professional moment, but it was a come to Jesus moment. Um, just because you were just, you, you thought that this thing was so beautiful and then just like, God damn it. Can't I have anything nice? And then basically like the end of the movie. So do I, do I have to tell the, the parents of both of these people this and, break their you know Arts? shatter yeah. shatter their glass ceiling and yeah so it that was a that's how i felt about cleopatra she yeah okay well it's it's the worst kind of like the ally who 
you know, you think that they're an ally and that it's Eric Clapton. She Eric Clapton does. He, he brings in and he's all showing how Robert Johnson is where he learned to play guitar. I listen to Robert Johnson and come to find out he's in the running for racist fuckboy. Who yeah, knew? He is. <laughs> Living in Columbus, Ohio. I did not do a recasting. Good. Yeah, I said <laughs> nope. No, nope, not very much hoping for that. Did we do <laughs> exactly. our LVPs? I mean, our MVPs? Oh, we didn't do MVPs. Oh, uh, we did. <laughs> okay. MVPs. Um, my runner-ups were Harry and Daisy Earls, because I felt like they were mm-hmm. just very good actors. Mm-hmm. I agree. I thought they were really good. Yeah. I wanted like, more I movies think... of them. I know. They were so good. Uh, but my... MVP is the diversity of the film and the fact that, like we said, it remains one of the only films to feature a predominantly disabled cast. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Like to, it's just crazy. Like to this day, like you yep. can't even. Almost a hundred. It's ninety you years. You could later not this put point. this mm-hmm. film out now. Oh my God! You couldn't no, do it. Not this film, but you can tell. You can tell um, differently capable stories to tell. Oh yeah. This reminds me. There's a um, you know, there's not in films, but I feel like people, like TikTok. Yeah. Is a way that this is going to become more. Uh, like the you know it it's a way to show that these people with different abilities are living the same kinds of lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a a man on there, and now I I don't know what his handle is because I don't. I just it just came to my mind, but he does uh he's limbless and he has like gone viral because of his he does like makeup tutorials and stuff on TikTok. Yeah, and I mean it just like shows like his daily like life as his daily life and like all the things that he does and how he does it and the more you see differences, the more they aren't huge differences it, the, just like I said well, last week with a patch of blue and guess who's coming to dinner just seeing an interracial couple on the screen and then you see another one and it, it doesn't become that shock value anymore yeah but and that is exactly why the Hayes Code came into effect like it is yeah. a, it is not an accident they knew that these are the things that we can't show because it because representation matters and when people see things and they see people's humanity and when they mm-hmm. see things the way they really are they knew the power of the cinema and that's why they put into Hayesco. that's why you couldn't have races mix them <laughs> were they you know like they they put those things in that's why like yes. the Hayesco came in we stopped seeing people with with the because it it made us uncomfortable so that was the oh nobody wants to see that. But it it it's it's the it's, it's like it's just the same thing that keeps happening over and over again. Like and the and the system worked the way that they wanted it to work. Like it's easy for us to say oh well, why and it's like it, it wasn't an accident that that this was a pre-code film and then we didn't, never saw anything mm-hmm. after that because Todd Browning like this killed his career. He didn't get to make any other really films after this because it was such 
such controversy. They labeled it a box office bomb, all of these things, because it wasn't on accident. It was like, we have this white Anglo-Saxon worldview and how are we going to preserve it and make sure that it carries along? We're going to put this code in place. Like it's not an accident. Um, I found his name is Gabe Adams. Uh, he's his Instagram handle is no underscore limbs underscore. Mm. Um, and his TikTok is Gabe Adams, but he is a 20, 22 year old motivational speaker and entrepreneur who was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil without arms or legs. He was adopted by a family in Utah and grew up there with 13 siblings. Um, and he started TikTok in 2018. Well, wow, that's early just for fun. But nearly all of his videos have gone viral and he just shows his followers how he does daily tasks like using his cell phone, but he also does like, um, like let's do another makeup look and he shows how he does makeup and uh, yeah, I feel like that outlets like that are what's going to make it possible, like hopefully the norm. Exactly. Because they're back- in control of their own, like they have the agency. Right. It's them in control telling yes. their own stories. Yes. And he has a post like on his Instagram. It's like, contact me at, here's my management. Here's my talent agency to like book mm-hmm. me and things like that. But for his things that he wants to do. Yeah. Because in 1973 or 74, when I saw the that first child with no arms or legs, I thought this child has no future but this child could have had a future. Mm-hmm. So that that is that's the that's the journey I took. Was originally oh my god, don't show these people cuz they're going to be exploited and people are going to laugh and they're going to um be so ugly to these people who were born this way. But but then the arc that gets to the end of that is no, they do have agency and they do have life's worth living and we need to accept that and and embrace it and celebrate it that's why like this remember i got into the special olympics because i was just like oh my gosh this is fantastic i love this (laughs) one of my students went to the special olympics i came back and said paralympics uh, well both of them i got into both of them there's special olympics and the paralympics She came back from the Special Olympics because we always sent a team to the Special Olympics and said, Mrs. Bush, there were all these retarded people there. Oh my gosh. But she, because she saw herself as a, a fully mm-hmm. human being and she's going, why am I here with these kids who, who aren't, you know? Yeah. But that's the that's the the brainwashing that goes on, you exactly. know. Where it's, exactly. It's, it's the same thing with um straightening your hair or or you know exactly. like or like colorism and stuff. It's like even though you're, uh, yeah, cast. Yeah. I yeah. have okay. So who is your MVP, Ma? Uh, I kind of had Frida because. Uh, I mean, she was, she was ride or die. She was ride or die. Yeah, ride or die. Man. I mean, she made mistakes. <laughs> she, she was made trying. Mistakes. He made mistakes, but, and then my tasty titty is they were brother and sister. So they couldn't have a true 
like romantic situations that's going on. Yeah. So that was like a, but okay. That was mine. Mine is in the scene when they're at in Hans's uh, caravan van wagon thing. And they're um, like, the jig is up for old Cleopatra. Mm -hmm. Mine is the guy who is playing the flute like instrument for the scene. I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. When you, when like, when the tape, when you are going to turn the tables and your crew has shown up for you, you want to have the guy who's supplying the soundtrack for that. And he, and he was perfect too. Cause he, he had, a, he had the perfect tune in mind. He's like, I'm going to build guys. I'm going to build, I'm going to build. And she's going to realize that the jig is up and we got her. Oh guys, don't worry. He's, he's basically the guy with Spotify is like, I got the perfect song. And then he just plays it. <laughs> I, I love that guy. He's my MVP. Okay, so we are to Tasty Titties because we didn't do a recasting because it just wouldn't have been appropriate. Mm -hmm. I already told you, Hans and Frieda, brother and sister. The film was banned in many states and cities. Uh, Louis B. Mayer tried to have the film shut down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he would. Todd Browning, who made the film, Worked in a circus in his youth as a clown and a contortionist. All right. Well, yeah, this guy. So he came from a rather well-to-do family. So it wasn't like he didn't have. Uh, um, it, it wasn't a, a thing where he was destitute and he had no other options. And he fell in love. I think when he was 16, he fell in love with a dancer in a circus and he followed her. And then he became a clown, then a jockey, and then a contortionist, and then director of a variety theater. And there's when he met fuckboy D.W. Griffith. And then he was cast in Intolerance, which was one of D.W. Griffith's films. Um, he was also mentioned in David Bowie's song Diamond Dogs. Oh. And then... So then later he left his wife. So at some point he, he got married. I don't know if he got married to the dancer or if he just followed the dancer and, you know, was traveling this life and then he married a wife. But then he left his wife because he wanted to go back out on the back out on the, the road, you know. And by that time, I think vaudeville was calling him and he assisted in a blackface. Oh, performance oh, in an act called the lizard and the coon oh, oh boy. Okay. so hey both things can be true he can have you know he can he because he was around these kind of performers can you know but then can also do that so do that because that that 1915 car accident, which apparently was his fault, he 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 liked the the booze a lot. He he drank a lot, and apparently he uh, was drinking and driving, and he fought a freight train, and the freight train won. Okay, mm -hmm. so he was he was quotation marks deformed. Well, he lost all of his teeth. And I want there's stories of him 
like taking out his teeth and throwing it at somebody and saying, bite yourself or something. Oh, he, oh, now that's funny. Yeah, he liked the booze and, and he had he, this. Was, it wasn't like he made freaks and then he they were like, oh, you have to go away. It was that he was a drinker and so he would have outbursts. He didn't treat his crew very well. So mm. there were always complaints about him. And this was kind of the final straw for him after all of it came out. But he... It didn't say that he was deformed or anything by the accident, but his body was all broken up. One of his passengers was killed in the accident. It was mm -hmm. a very horrific accident. And so there's the trauma for the accident. There's also his body. And you know that he was just kind of probably in constant pain. And even if he was able to look able-bodied, mm -hmm. he still had the pain and probably like would walk differently or something. Mm -hmm. And because of his past working in circuses and all of that, he did have a soft spot and understand mm -hmm. the humanity mm -hmm. of these performers in a way that most able-bodied people would not know. Agree. Do you have more? Um, um, no. Anybody else? I have some more. Go. I feel like we, we covered all of mine, so... Yeah, we covered all of my other tasty titties. I have that roustabout was um, a circus worker who handled materials for construction on the fairgrounds. And in modern terms, it's now used as a term of rural, rural employment for assisting sheep shearing and oil industry jobs. I've heard of that term. Yeah, roustabout. roustabout. Yeah. Um, Olga... Baklanova's likeness to 80s Madonna is a thing. Oh, really? And apparently there's this movie she was in called The Man Who Laughs, where she has an uncanny resemblance to Madonna. Oh, kind of a cone bra going on? I don't know about a cone bra, but I think facial features where people are like, holy crap, she looks like 80s Madonna. Yeah, the hair, I get that. Yeah, and I, I can see, like, the facial structure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Harry, the guy that played Hans, he was the one that actually brought the short story Spurs that was written to Todd Brownie. Okay. And was like, hey, here's this short story. You should make it a movie. Because he was in one of Todd's earlier films. I, oh. I think it was the Unholy Three. Um, mm -hmm. And... And that's what got him to get interested and get MGM to buy it and then like develop it. And he started developing it in, I think, 1927. So it was this whole thing that he really worked really hard on developing it. Interesting. Um, and then the circus provided a good living for the Dahl family. And they were uh, able to buy a house in Sarasota, Florida where all four of the siblings lived until their deaths. And they all, I mean, the one of them, Tiny Doll, didn't die until 2004. Yeah. Oh, really? Were they all? all? of them lived to be, one of them, like, she was 90, the youngest died at 71. Mm -hmm. Wow. Harry lived to be 83. Were they all little people? Because there were four, so there were seven children total, four of them, 
were little people mm-hmm. and then they had three other siblings. I don't know what happened to the other siblings that were in Germany because they were born in Germany and the parents were kind of like pushed them into entertainment because they're like, you need to like, this is a way for you to take advantage of your social, like this is your social currency, basically. Like this is the hand that you were dealt. It was not a good time in Germany to be a touch different. Oh, all four of them were in the yellow brick road dance. In the yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know it, but I felt like maybe. His face looked familiar as one of them. Yeah, he looked familiar. Yeah. He was a good actor. Uh, I thought he was great. Yeah. Um, so the co-joined twins, Daisy, remember, she had Violet a boyfriend. Violet and Daisy. Violet and Daisy. Daisy had a boyfriend. He was a musician, Maurice Lambert, and they applied for a marriage license in 21 states and were denied. Damn. Really? Yeah. And then... So then Daisy and Violet, they both were married. Violet was married for 10 years. Um, and then Daisy was married for 10 days. And so that's in the Wikipedia. And then in another article I read, it said that both of the men that they were married to were gay. And so that the, like mm-hmm. the 10 year marriage, that was only on paper. Paper, right. Yeah. Um, this was a, considered a box office failure. But then it had a critical reappraisal in the 60s. Um, Myrna Loy was mm-hmm. originally cast mm-hmm. as Cleopatra, and Jean Harlow was cast as Venus. Oh, wow. But Irving Thalberg decided that he didn't want any of his major film stars in the roles. And yeah. on one hand, it's like, oh, man that have been but on the other hand it would have been like it's Myrna Loy as Cleopatra and the audience would be used to taking her side so I don't know if it would have aged as well if it had you know like a major movie star because then I don't think that you I think you would have I think that it ended up working out in the long run for Thalberg although I don't think his reasons for it were noble you know like I think he didn't want any major stars attached to some to something like this, you know. Mm-hmm. But in that, I think it ended up <laughs> working out for the better because there, what is there redeeming about Cleopatra? Nothing. 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 So I think that's interesting. It was banned in the UK until 1963. And then it came out with a, a X rating in 1963. Mm-hmm. So, so you couldn't even watch it in the 50s in the UK. Mm-mm. It was Mm-mm. so... And, this, and no. I'm talking about this version that we saw, the 63. Right, minutes. not even the castration and such. Yeah, that wasn't even what we were talking about. There's been two unofficial remakes, She Freaks in 1967 and Freak Show in 2007. And as we mentioned before, it was the inspiration for the fourth season of American Horror Story titled Freak Show. There's a 2011 deep focus review by Brian Eggert. And he says that typically shows would have put differently, um, like able-bodied, well, it would put differently. 
what was the, the thing that we said? Physically Different. unusual people with um, able-bodied people in costumes and padding. So there would usually be one physically unusual person, and then the rest of the people in the shows would be able-bodied mm. people in the cast, like Teeny said. Um, so then that was an interesting thing on this set because there were tons of egos because they were all used to being the stars mm. of their own thing. And so then put together, there was a lot, like there wasn't the unity that you would imagine of like nowadays, right. Oh, where it was more of a crabs in the barrel sort of mentality and just ego and Hollywood of like, no, I'm the star of this. No, you're not. Yeah. And the, the backstabbing and biting because we can, you know, the stuff that cast creates. Um, so those were my tasty titties. Well, I did a deep uh, a deep dive into anencephaly, anencephaly, um, quotation marks, pinhead syndrome. Oh, yes. Mm. It is a baby born without parts of the brain and skull. So it's called neutral tube defect. The neutral tube forms and closes, and it helps form the baby's brain and skull and the spinal cord and some of the backbones. So when that isn't fully formed, you get that smaller head, flat head mm. syndrome. And things that can cause that if the mother is obese, uncontrolled diabetes, oh. some prescription medications, Oh. And some environmental issues can cause that. Oh, um, that's interesting. Wasn't there some sort of like pill that that was supposed to be a daytime, like a um, was it the the morning sickness pill that they gave like in the eighties to people, and so then like women took it because they have morning sickness, and it's just like oh, there's finally a pill for that, and they took it, and then like five years down the line they're like oh no it wasn't five years it was eight months down the line <laughs> oh when the first babies oh. were born oh. um okay so let me finish with this uh folic acid pills helped to uh promote that that um neural tube so oh, I know that acid. I took folic acid with you. And one in every 4,600 babies are born with this still today. Now, that oh. was Bendectin. And when I was pregnant with you, I took Bendectin because I had to sleep by the toilet because I could not keep anything down. And I was throwing up constantly, morning, noon, night, so I took Bendectin with you. It stopped that. And then when I was about eight months pregnant with you, a oh, big no. article oh. came out saying Bendectin causes huge birth defects. <laughs> oh, oh, did you no. just? Yeah. And I'm, but the only way that I kept you, if I had continued down that route, um, you know, my body would have actually expelled you because I couldn't <laughs> hold on you? to you. How dare so, you kick me out of this? <laughs> right. So I I took Bendectin. It was able to keep you in me. And then at eight months, um, <laughs> I remember a, a friend coming to the Frenzel's house 
oh. and saying, um, <laughs> so there's this article in the paper. I like how in the, this is in the 1980, there is a, the, the share thing, you know, on phones. She had to physically come over and knock, knock. We need exactly. to go down to the newspaper store and get this magazine. And, but no, I had to get it from Armed Forces. Uh, uh, yeah, no, from the Stars, Stars and, and Stripes. Stripes. From the Stars and Stripes, because I was living in Germany. I couldn't read the German so papers. Stars and Stripes was the physical building you would go to to get comics, magazines, newspapers. Books. It was a physical book. It was a physical building. Right. So then I was freaked out. First of all, I had I had majored in elementary special education. And it's amazing that with everything that can go wrong, children actually come out, quotation marks, normal. Nobody's normal, but normal. And so I had all of that knowledge. And then at eight months, it was, okay, this pill you took to stop you from, you know, throwing up everything it can cause severe birth defects. So I was freaked out by that. But when I went into labor with you, it was like, this much pain cannot be causing me to have a pro an issue here. So uh, I got you. Well, but plus yeah. there was the electrocution. It probably like the elect <laughs> the electrocution I went through probably like nullified the <laughs> that maybe pill. it did <laughs> because we had to have converters to convert our electricity from 120 volts to 220 volts in Germany. And I guess one time I plugged it in when my hair was still wet. And it shot me across the room. So, and then one time I fell down the steps of the Frenzels. I come by this honestly, people. I come by this honestly. <laughs> and this is what I got. So it was worth all of that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, quotation marks, pinhead syndrome is, is something that can still happen with babies. Take your folic acid, people. I've known a couple of people that have had babies born with that. They only oh, live really? to be, I mean, most of the time they only live a couple of hours or days. Right. Oh. Just like in back in the seventies, um, children with down syndrome were not supposed to live past 12, 13. And now they're living into adulthood and, and having prosperous lives. Yeah, but now there's all these tests where you can test to see if yeah. these yeah, and things, you, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is yeah. A, just oh my gosh, that so much to unpack with that. Well, go to Texas, you don't have a choice; you just live with what you get. Well, there's that. So <laughs> that is true. Well, there was a lot to unpack because I did at the end of this, Christine's comment to me at the very beginning was, well, some of us have a higher tolerance for <laughs> people who are different. And that's exactly what I came to though, Christine. I came around to why is this upsetting to me just because these people are different? And let's let's look at them in this environment where they are healthy, they're thriving, they're making a living. And, and that got me past the whole horror to, yeah, everybody's allowed to live and, and live their own lives. And we shouldn't be horrified by people who look different from us. Yeah. I also mm -hmm. wonder if 
Because I, you know, I'm not having kids, so I don't have. I'm not like. I don't oh, have no. a problem with that at all. <laughs> but I would do wonder if if somebody who is like I could see how that w- like that this would maybe hit a little bit different just in as far as okay, well I have to be prepared for this like this could happen. Okay, exactly. What will exactly. I do? What kind of person am I going to be in this situation? Exactly. And there are people who are like, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And then and there was this lovely facility in Kentucky who would take the kids. And then there were horrible places who would take the kids or people who would just. Well, uh, I think now, though, uh, like if you depending on your health insurance and you know how privileged you are, you don't they have like, like 3D modeling and like there's just mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff now where people will They'll let you know this child has this issue. Do you want to continue with this? And, and, Mm -hmm. and it, and you can make that choice. Do you want to continue with this knowing Mm -hmm. this is the life this child's going to lead? It's, it's, I feel it's up to the mother, the, the person carrying this being in their body, but other people have different issues and they're allowed to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's very, very interesting. It was a heavy week. Well, well, it it's is been a heavy two days. Well, because also like the thing that we didn't mention, but the teeny mentioned when we brought up, then she brought up that she was going to do this movie. It was the whole thing about eugenics and how this movie is anti eugenics, which the whole thing with eugenics was, um, you know, it was of course from the Western European, I you know, viewpoint of the outside being like great genes. So it was. Like Lindbergh was a big eugenics guy, you know? Yeah. Strapping, tall, blonde, blue eyed, you know, what Hitler kind of wanted. That kind of thing. But then Except he was strapping and blue eyed, Hitler was not, but move on. Yeah, but then, the, but the thing that we were talking about earlier is that physical deformities meant that there was something inside of you that was rotten when that's not the exactly. case. And then you exactly. have like eugenics, which is just physical things. And then meanwhile, you're just mental, um, you know, mental, uh, mental health traits are just being just reproduce, reproduce, reproduce down the line, you know, which that's something that can be hidden, you know, mental health issues can be hidden. And so you just have all of that, just keep reproducing, reproducing. And then is, you know, you have that, but then, oh, we have a person who was born without limbs. That's they're horrible, you know, but you then meanwhile, oh, because they look fine and they look, they look able-bodied and normal, but their mental health issues are just able to just keep going and being passed on along and along because of just physical traits. So, so I'm going to go teeny. Well done. Even Again, the yeah. first 10 minutes, yeah. I was like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> I actually put that on my, um, a candidate as a candidate for the cringy moment of the year is Liz watching the first 10 minutes of Freaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just so shook. True. Just shook. What else she, happened? It was, she was so actually, shook. Actually, we can take it down to the moment when I saw the human torso. That's when I, that's, that was, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so, Aaron, next week. Well, 
This Wednesday is somebody's birthday. Somebody's seventieth seven zero th birthday. It ain't me. It ain't. It ain't me. It ain't. But it's also somebody who's not here with us any longer's birthday as well. Paul, are we gonna do a Paul Newman? Please tell oh. me we're gonna do a Paul Newman. Please tell me. Ma, please tell me. Please tell me. Not only are we doing a Paul Newman film, how about Joanne Woodward? How about Diane Carroll? Wait, no. How about Louis Armstrong? How about one Cindy Portier? What the fuck? Yes, we are doing, in honor of your birthday, I don't know how good this movie is, but it's available on Tubi to watch. I checked. Tubi. On Tubi. Okay. 1961's Blue Paris. It's oh. available and we can watch it. A film with Paul Newman and Sidney Poitier. I don't know. That's going to be so... It's going to be like, I love you. No, I love you. No, I love you. No, I love you. I know, but then also, <laughs> why is this like, what, you know, is why this movie we horrible? Never this yeah. <laughs> it's just, That's so, what I'm thinking. We got, I'm, I named five stars off the jump, and I'm just like... And I have never oh. heard of this. Yeah. That's suspicious. I know. Well... I'm thinking it's a perfect birthday movie, though. That's why I picked it. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. I, I totally appreciate it. Harris Blue, 1961. Tubi. Harris Blue. Wow. Okay. So there will be commercials. <laughs> you could probably well, rent it on Amazon Prime for no commercials, too. I don't know. That was the thing about it is it was really hard to find. I tried to do it before. And I couldn't, so maybe it is now. Thanks, Change. Okay. Well, listeners, this was a lot to unpack this week. So we hope you um, come along and unpack with us. I thought, I think it's great. I think it's something that everybody should watch because your reaction to it says a lot about you. Exactly. And that's why it's such a great reheatable. And also, like, just what, how diabolical, like, and sometimes, like, I praise the Hayes Code because it did allow for creative film working. And then also, though, Hayes, it was just so, like, on purpose and it served a purpose to put stories down and to put real life down and to keep people, you know, those stories from being told. That, exactly probably would have benefited society in the long run if uh if nothing else it broadens your horizons mm-hmm. well there you go listeners Bye. Bye. Bye.